Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Hurley, and this week on Music Rookie, we've got a conversation with Dallas Jackson, who's the editor-in-chief of quintessential music magazine, American Songwriter. The magazine was recently purchased and has gone through quite a few editorial changes over the last year. So in our conversation, we discuss some of those changes, the magazine's new podcast network, and how analytics are now front and center. We also discussed what Dallas looks for in a pitch. And let me tell you, I was surprised by the answer. So let's jump right in. Let's just start at the beginning, because I know that you recently took over the position in American Songwriter, and they changed ownership and all that. So do you want to just start telling me like your background and how you came to be at American Songwriter? So I, I came to be at American Songwriter because I've had a working relationship with the current owner, Sam Savage, for about five years. He and I first met at another joint venture that we were part of called comicbook.com and popculture.com. He was the CEO of those two companies. And I was brought in by another partner that we had, a mutual colleague named Shannon Terry. And so I worked with Sam for a handful of years there. Uh, and once we sold to CBS, he and I stayed close. And then when he told me that he had purchased American Songwriter from Albie and that crew, he asked if I was interested in coming on to, to run editorial with him. So uh, I kind of followed him based on a, a past working relationship that, that he and I had had. Now, do you have a background in music? Uh, that depends on what you mean by background in music. I played, I played in bands in high school and college, but as far as my career in journalism, uh, no. And as far as my managerial career at popculture.com, we launched a country vertical. And so we did a lot of things with country music and it was very country music specific uh, at that time. And we did that for maybe two years before, like I said, before we sold to CBS. Traditional music coverage, no, I guess is the shortest answer. So since you've taken over, kind of what is your vision? How, what are the things that you wanted to change? What are the things you're working on changing? Obviously it's a weird time in music journalism across the board because so many people have been laid off and everybody's cutting back on staff and you guys seem to be going full force ahead. Give me the lowdown. Sure. So the first thing we did when we got in was kind of look at the lay of the land. We did some phone calls and, and tried to understand what people thought of us, what people thought of American Songwriter. Sam and I have been blessed in our careers that both of us have done a lot of startups. And so we never really had a brand to work with, whereas American Songwriter has had such a rich history in the music space that you know we had a unique opportunity where it was this brand but it didn't really have a lot of substance to it in our opinion when we started doing the analytics and looking at what people said and thought about us so the first thing we really did was start building new relationships we started reaching out to more pr people we had a vision and a goal to to become more genre agnostic um, we had noticed in the past maybe decade or so that american songwriter had kind of painted itself into a corner of of the americana space and they didn't really branch out into too many other things. And so while that was good to be that niche and kind of have those things on lock, um, it also limited who wanted to work with us. And so the first thing we needed to do was make sure we had more people that wanted to work with us. And we made that a, pretty much a mission statement. In the first, in the January issue, my first issue there was our, our, our letter to the editor of explaining exactly what we're going to do. We had four key points. I used quotes from Lucille Ball to extrapolate them to people. Then we followed it up with our, our second thing where we kind of the second issue that I was in was the, the March issue where we laid out, hey, this is the re reception. It's been positive. These are the results we're getting. This is our goal. These are the things that we want to do. And part and parcel on that was to, to say yes to more things. And so you mentioned a lot of folks downsizing and covering less and having less staff. And, and we saw the opportunity to do the exact opposite. Even in the face of COVID, we staffed up. We've said yes to more premieres. We've said yes to more features. 
And that, again, that kind of goes back to that first part of we had to build relationships and, you know, covering music and telling those stories is, is part and parcel for us to do that. And the vision, I guess, is to continue that. You know, that's the final part of your question there was what's our vision for the future? We, we have no interest in being another billboard or being another Rolling Stone. Those two places exist. They're fantastic. They do what they do. And us to be a, you know, third in that pecking order or fourth or wherever you guys the pantheon of, of people see us, uh, we're not interested in competing with them. You know, that brand of American songwriter and telling the stories of how songs are written is something that is true to us. And that's something we're going to stay to. And so it's been easy to get into those discussions. You know, we're covering more metal bands and more rock bands and, and Christian acts and, and all these other things, because every song you hear is, is written. And so our pitch to a lot of these folks is, you know, you, you can do an interview with whomever, whatever site or whatever magazine, and you might be, have done that same interview 15 times, but how many metal bands get to talk about the process behind their songwriting or how many, you know, hip hop artists get to talk about the process behind their songwriting. And so for us, it's been really well received and that's kind of where we want to stay. We want to stay in our lane, but um, we want to grow it. And um, just as a caveat, I'll mention that you are the only editor that's ever written me back and asked how I was. I think I told you that in an email. I was like, what? <laughs> That was nice. Well, we, like I said, we've, we've done an, an, a number of startups and I've been in publishing and online publishing for 20 years. And so relationships are always important, whether it's somebody that I've just met, like yourself or people that we've been working with for a few months, really. You still have to check in on people. They're more than just an inbox or they're more than just a, a business transaction. And this COVID time is crazier than most. So, you know, checking in on people is important. <laughs> You bring up an interesting issue in saying that you've worked on startups before. I've also worked at a few startups before. I went through um, an accelerator program called Seed Hatchery and did a, two startups. And so that's kind of like a newer way of thinking about things versus the old school journalism way of thinking about things. What are the new ideas that you have been able to implement at American Songwriter from your startup background? I think what we learned in the iterations that we've had, and I've been very blessed to have worked with some very, very smart people, way smarter than me, and I've taken a lot of their ideas. And one of the biggest things is blending the knowledge that you have, you know, that gut feeling like, hey, this is going to be good. That's fine and, and all well and good to go on. But if there's not data to support that, over the long haul, you're going to miss more than you hit, no matter what your ex experience is. And so one of the things that I think that myself and Sam as well brought into this is that appreciation for data. We, we make a lot of our decisions based on that. And we ask our users and we take that user data and we uh, adjust as we go. You know, we've, there was a trend in online media a handful of years ago. I'm sure it's no surprise to you that people were transitioning so hard to video and everything had to be a video or a video premiere or a video this, you know, and we started noticing that even as we increased our video, it never grew at the same rate as everything else. So the more features we did or the more songwriting tips that we did or the interviews with songwriters that we did, those were growing at 400%. Those were growing exponentially, whereas video was still staying on that stagnant line of where it was. So, you know, we reached out to our users and we just said, what are things you're interested in? And video was literally dead last. And so we were like, well, of course it's not growing. Nobody, none of our readers care about that. So then we asked why they didn't care about that. And is, well, they're traditionally songwriters. They're not interested in that visual element. And so doing something that would have been a, you know, a pivot to video would have, if you just followed internet trends would have made sense, but it would have totally crushed us. And so 
we look at those things, we ask why, and we ask for feedback. And, and we're not afraid to be wrong and then adjust to it. There's nobody that's going to stick to a bad plan. Yeah, I mean, I think that has been a miscalculation by many people on the pivot to video because I don't, don't think they've taken into account that more and more people are reading everything on their phone and they're scrolling and they just want like more bits and pieces and they don't want to like, they might be on the bus or out in public and they're not going to click on that video and like be able to listen to it. That happens in our newsletters a lot. You know, they're reading the content, but they're not necessarily clicking through to the video content as much as we expected them to. Yeah, no, we, we it, literally the exact same thing. And, and we were like, man, everybody's doing this push on video and it was not scaling. And, and so, you know, we, we did all that same analytics stuff and, and it worked, you know, everything, we're still scaling crazy high. Um, the numbers are continue to grow. I've kept up with your Alexa ranking. It's jumped way high. Well, I hope to keep that trend going. That's for sure. So that brings up, you know, just the whole analytics thing, something that I've always wondered and I've just expect to be true, but maybe I'm not, maybe it is not true. But what I tell my clients is that, you know, when you get a premiere or an interview at an outlet, you really need to push that towards all of your fan base and get as many people as possible to go check that out because you guys are probably looking at the analytics of those features and determining whether or not you're going to cover that person again. Like maybe if you get a premiere, are you going to do a review? Well, let's see how many people look, came and read the premiere. You're literally 100% correct. I love to hear that. <laughs> No, we do. We do exactly that is even when it's if it's a people have a little bit of a misnomer as well. And, and just to continue to be truthful, we don't just we don't just look at some like baseline of how many Facebook fans they have or Instagram fans or whatever. We've covered people with literally eight fans on Facebook because we thought the song was re a really good song. And we've covered people obviously with millions, tens of millions of, of fans all around. But we still have to do those weight and measures. So if we put out something and it does well, well, then sure, we're going to go to the well again. and see what the next thing is. The hard part with video specifically is so many acts and so many talents will want to just share that video direct on all of their platforms. Don't share the URL from the source that, you know, say you get that premiere with us, since you're talking specifically to me. You get a premiere with us and it's a video premiere, which is kind of hit or miss with our audience anyway. And then you go and just drop the video link straight onto your, onto your social media feed. Well, now my link goes even, goes nowhere. It's kind of a dead loop. And so then we go and measure that analytic back and we're just like, man, that band didn't support the premiere or, or their fans didn't support, whatever the reason is, it makes it harder to say yes on that next one. And so do you have a ratio of how much you're spending on like editorial time versus how much you're spending at looking at analytics and numbers, engaging, this is working, we need to do more of this stuff or this is not working, let's move on from that. Because I imagine this year, you're doing, you know, what they say in startups is fail fast. What's really a, a nice answer here for us is we have a lot of eyeballs on analytics. And so that doesn't just put the pressure straight on to, to me to manage that time. I know what I don't know. And I like to surround myself with people that can fill in those gaps. And so, you know, I give a lot of credit to the people that also work with us. And so I get to actually spend my day reading the pitches and listening to the sound clouds and, and deciding if it's, a, if it's a good tune. So that brings me back to, can you talk about how important it is for you to get pitched a good story angle? 
along with a good song. That's something that obviously this whole thing's going to be listened to by musicians. So we're trying to give them feedback and good information. And that's something that I sometimes have trouble getting through to clients is that you can write a great song, but a great song with a great story goes even further. Obviously, if I'm pitching you, I need to be able to entice you to listen to that song by telling a great story about it. You know, let me think about that. I don't want to give bad advice. Again, this is specific to, to me and songwriter, and I'm definitely a different style of editor. I tend to say yes to more things, but I also, again, specific to songwriter, so other editors might have a very different answer for this. I don't have a lot of time to read that good story pitch. I would much rather be able to get into the meat of, is this a good tune? Because then our, our people are interested in what the tune is, is the writing behind it. And maybe not so much just, can I hear it or, or this good story? You can have a great story, but a bad tune, and I, it's not going to work for us. So specific to songwriter, I would say get the tune higher up in your pitch and probably save your efforts on writing a long, a long pitch. And I tell my writers that too. I, I don't want long pitches. Okay, well, that's great information. But let me ask you this. Are you just going through and listening to every song that's sent to you? I try my best to. To be honest with you, I literally am up in my office. I have my headphones on almost all day. I'll see a pitch. If it's a band that I know and, and like, and I know their stories and things like that, and it's a, hey, we have a new tune or we have a new album, or we have a new whatever to cover, um, that's a little easier to yes, no. If it's a band that I have never heard of, I'll listen to it. Or if it's a genre that I don't particularly like, I will send it to writers that do like that genre because I don't want my personal taste to influence what's up on the site or what goes in to our print product. So we have a team of people that, you know, we have specific faith-based writers, specific metal writers, specific hip-hop writers, specific bedroom pop writers, whatever they are. And so if I get a, a pitch in that's a genre that I don't particularly like, um, I'll send it out to those other writers and say, hey, is this, is this something that you guys enjoy? Is this something that a fan base there would like? So um, it's certainly not just me making the decisions. Uh, I really empower our writers to make those decisions too. How many writers do you have currently? 32, I think is what we're at now. And we're always looking for more. We're always fielding pitches from freelancers. We're always adding people to our staff. You can't tell as many stories as you, as you possibly can without having writers that can do it. So a lot of people. Can you talk about any new features or new like columns that you're working on or excited to start? One thing we're very excited about is the, our launch of the uh, podcast network. So we have the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which now we have uh, 14 podcasts. We just brought Robert, Robert O'Keen's podcast over to us, and we have a handful of really, really good ones. And so that's a new initiative that we've been ramping up. We also have partnered with a couple of other academics, I guess is maybe the word, or, or trained professionals to kind of give more of the breakdown of songwriting. We got so much replies from our users was to have actual instruction, actual breakdowns of how do you go about writing songs, like more true core stuff. And so we've added that. That's going to be print uh, and online features. We've gotten a lot of folks that have asked to expand just from songwriting in, in terms of the words to, to being more music inclined. And so we've added a, a couple of guitar experts that are going to do some more like guitar 101 kind of things to, to teach people how to, to do different chord, chord progressions and to do different ways to, you know, if you're used to playing one specific way, if you drop it to a different note, it could make your whole sound sound different. And so we try to go more to our core and again, not try to compete with the, the billboards of the world because that's a different, that's a different space that we don't always have to splash in. And so 
how do you determine what goes into the print magazine versus what is just a digital feature? So for print, we usually have a pretty simple format. We want to have our, our cover story, and that is usually just determined by relationships, by pitches, by what music is coming up. We also are trying to line up, actually, this is pretty neat, is we're trying to line up more special issues. So in January every year is our Legends issue, which this year we have Bob Marley in the estate on the cover, and there's going to be exclusive images never before seen. So that's pretty easy. If, somebody, if a PR person comes to me and says, hey, the Bob Marley estate, this is the 40th anniversary of his death, and we have exclusive photos, we'd love to work with you guys. Well, that's an easy yes. And then from there, we kind of target people that we want to be in it or, or different genres. So again, specific to Legends, with so much of our past 10 years being Americana, so much of those past 10 Legends issues have been Americana. And so this year we went and, and wanted to open that up. And so we got more genres and we got more historical on it. So we have some people that are, Legends might be a different word for it, but a modern legend. We have Lady Gaga in this, in this issue, along with Bob Marley. And that's somebody that would never have been an American songwriter in the past 10 years. We have Chuck D, you know, a hip hop icon from the 80s and 90s. So you know, we go and target specific things that we want to, to increase that. Now for our more traditional issues, um, it's kind of that same thing. We want something that's timely. We obviously don't want to be, you know, putting somebody on the cover that their last album was six months ago when they have nothing new to talk about. So we want some relevance. And then that cover also is going to have four or five other names that are going to be name pegs. And so they're also in terms of relevance and, and what they're doing, but they're not determined based on size. So, you know, we have people, you know, Billy Strings uh, was on our last cover peg and, and his, his audience is still relatively small. He's going to become the future of bluegrass and everybody loves him. But, you know, on that same cover peg was Garth Brooks was on the cover and Seether was on the cover peg. I mean, there was just, it's just trying to become eclectic. And then also inside each issue, we have one page portraits where we look specifically to try to find lesser known talents to give them a, a platform. So we've had people, again, literally, uh, there was a girl, I think it was last issue, two issues ago, her name was Gail, and she had 16 followers on Facebook. But we heard her tunes and they, we thought they were really great. And we thought that she could be somebody that could go and do something. And so there's not a you know, minimum height requirement to be, to be on our pages. We want to showcase people that are songwriting and, and doing really cool things. So how are the magazine sales going? That's the kind of the trick of this trade, right? Is that it's, it's hard to get people to buy paper magazines now. We've actually been blessed. So in the, in the past, before I got here with the previous 34 years, they maintained a, a very good subscription base and they maintained a pretty good newsstand rate. We have a lot of good partnerships. But then during this year, with again, with our, our increase in genres and our increase in what we're saying yes to and what we're putting out there, we've actually seen a substantial growth. Our last issue was the, our 35th anniversary issue. It was one of our biggest issues. It was one of our highest selling issues and it was by far our most profitable issue. And so, in a, again, in a world where a lot of people can't say those things, we're actually in a very well-positioned spot right now to continue to grow and continue to add more. Well, it sounds like everything's going really well for you. Are there any obstacles that you're still trying to overcome? Yeah. I mean, everything, every place probably has similar obstacles. You know, there's a lot of business online that is still dictated by things outside of your control, whether it's bands or PR people getting behind the stories that they pitch. It could be you know, an algorithm shift on, on Facebook. It can be where you place on Google this month. There's a lot of things that are out of your control that, that can put some swings into your, into your best laid plans. As far as other things that we can control, I really do. I, I don't want this to sound like being braggadocious or anything, but we really have done a lot of 
relationship building, and that's paying dividends. The things that we have done fundamentally to improve the standing of the business and the standing of the brand have gone a long way towards bolstering our success. And I think, and that's as simple as just replying to every email. I mean, we got told through our initial process of once we acquired this site, that American Songwriter was notorious for never even replying to emails. So just being <laughs> like, like you're not, you, if you would have told me that, I would have been like, yep, we've heard that a thousand times. And so simply being active and being nice and cordial and, and, you know, those things have gone a long way towards helping us continue to grow. And so it sounds like a success story because through a year, it really has been. Yeah, I think that that's one of the main issues that I have as a publicist is that I don't even care if you say no, but it would be great if you told me no, because then I can like, check, I can check it off my list and I can move on. But when, you know, you have a client going, well, what about this? Or what about this? And you're like, uh, they haven't answered yet. So it's not a no, but it's not a yes, you know? Yeah. I listen. And, and I say the same thing. There's, it sounds cliche and I have a handful of cliches and I mean every single one of them. A no is the second best answer I can get. Like you can say yes or no, but at least answer me. You know, we do the same thing. Like on my side, I do the same thing as a publicist. You know, you, you guys reach out because you want coverage. Well, there's also people that I want. You know, I can't tell you how many times this year Bruce Springsteen has said no. I can't tell you how many times these, you know, you reach out and you say, hey, I know he has a new album coming. He's literally never been on the cover of American Songwriter. He's our, he's a white whale. We hadn't had Garth Brooks in 28 years. And so for this, for the anniversary issue, you know, we were like, hey, this is, a, we haven't had him in so long. We want this. And they, they said yes to this one, but you know, they've said no for the previous 28 years. So <laughs> getting told yes or no is, is totally, tell me no, I don't care. And so from my perspective, you know, that's one of those easy things for me is I'll mow through this and go through my emails and every, if it goes in my spam box, that, that gets a little deep. But if it hits my inbox, I'm going to reply to you. Um, okay. Well, I think I've taken up plenty of your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I really wanted to get the lowdown on all the new stuff going on at American Songwriter. It really has become another one of our respected outlets that people want now because it, it is covering so much more stuff. And I think it does like give people kind of a, you know, social proof, so to speak, when they end up in American Songwriter, they feel like they've, you know, shown that they're good. <laughs> that was actually one of the biggest things that coming into it, we always kind of had that cachet of, you know, if they cover you, that's for a reason. So that was always nice that there wasn't this like, oh, they'll say yes to everybody who cares kind of thing. And so to be able to build on that and continue to have that reputation where it's like, you know, if we put you in a magazine with, with Shane McAnally, Larkin Poe and, and Garth Brooks on the cover, you've done something pretty darn well. You know, you've, you've earned some stripe there and we've, we've heard those success stories. There's bands that we've fallen in love with that we've, you know, again, like I said, with hardly any following that we're just like, this is awesome. And they've come back later and been like, thank you so much for acknowledging us. Thank you so much for putting your, your brand behind us. So again, it's unique for me, usually coming from a startup to already have a full force behind it. And it's really great to see and feel the reception um, coming back that other direction where more people are saying, hey, we want American Songwriter versus the opposite where it was like, they're never going to answer that email anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You've been great to work with. So I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for uh, for taking a half hour of your date and uh, and have a good one. Of course, I'll be in touch. <laughs> and there you have it. 
Thanks to Dallas for taking the time to chat with me and giving us a look into American songwriters' editorial process. To sum it up, they're making a lot of changes in who they cover, which opens the doors to a lot more musicians. They also started a new podcast network and are planning to expand that coverage, focusing more on musicianship. And if you want to pitch him, feel free to get right to the point. Drop that song link and be sure to talk more about the process than your story. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in more insider information just like this, be sure to check out our weekly newsletter. You can sign up on sweetheartpub.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next one comes out. If you have a specific question, feel free to tweet me or shoot me an email. I'm not hard to find. The music in this episode was created by Frank Keith of Great Peacock. And big thanks to Brandon Kinder for producing this episode. Now, go do something useful.